Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, December 13th, 2021. On the show today, news, special guests. And in our main segment, Jim Hill looks back at how Henry Kissinger came to play a significant role in the development of Epcot back in the early 1970s. Let's get started by bringing in the man who notes that parents never say they have a favorite child, but will use one of your siblings' birthdays in their computer passwords. So, Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well. I, I, now, on the other hand, in the Hill family, my mother had kind of a casual attitude toward child rearing that Nancy was at a family cancer walk at one point and noticed myself and two of my brothers were walking in front of her and we all had our shoes untied. And she turned to my mother and was like, what's going on there? I said, well, you know, it, there were five of them. It was, it was hard to stay on top of things. <laughs> You know, if one tripped over his shoelaces and fell down in traffic, that thins the herd. You know, you, you've like, got spares. Oh, no. I got to say, Jim, it sounds like you weren't one of the favorites. I'm sorry. I, there's a Rodney Dangerfield joke that I love so much. It was a, basically Rodney goes to the beach with his family. He loses them. He's walking around with a policeman and, you know, asking him, do you think we'll ever find my parents? And he says, I don't know, kids. There's so many places they could hide. <laughs> And we have special guests on the show today. First, you've already heard Christina Harrison from TorrePlans.com. Welcome, Christina. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, and uh, uh, as we know, to Christina, you're siblings. Uh, and to Christy's point, I know that uh, in my family, which are four kids, I'm top three, and that's all that counts. Yep. <laughs> Not top two, wow. definitely top. Three. When, it, when it when it when it comes to uh, to my mother's favorite children, I'm top three, and that's all I need to be. That's fine. Okay. Also, we've got a uh, special guest, Kevin Perjurer, who runs the theme park history site, Defunctland, and has just produced an amazing video on the history of Disney's FastPass service. Welcome, Kevin. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm starstruck. I'm a huge, uh, I'm a huge, I'm a, I'm a listener. I'm a You're listener for years. Awesome. It's amazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. We're gonna, we have lots to talk about. But first, let's do a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Lena W., Amy Hanna and Velocity Chris, and longtime subscribers Nathan Shar, Mary Beth Taylor, and JT Dancy. Jim, these are the cast members who are getting back into the swing of being lit on fire as part of the upcoming restart of the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. They said that during the downtime, they stayed in practice using their own backyard barbecues and turkey fryers, which their neighborhood dubbed Flaming Friday Lunchtime. True story. I have to admit, every so often I am tempted by the deep fried turkey thing until I see sort of that endless reel of garages that have caught on fire because people have miscalculated. You have to have the oil level just right or it has to be completely. You can't freeze ground. the turkey either. Yeah. So funny story. <sighs> uh, our brother, my, my, my brother, Christina, my brother, used to work as an insurance adjuster for Allstate. And one of the things that he told me was if you ever wanted to commit insurance fraud, don't burn your house down using accelerants like gasoline or alcohol. Instead, try and fry a turkey in your living room because <laughs> arson violates your insurance policy, but stupidity does not. That's what it's there for. <laughs> top tip. Top tip, kids, right there. Yes. <laughs> stupidity is covered. <laughs> arson is not. <laughs> Yikes. All right. <laughs> and with that, let's go on to the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, 
book online at storybookdestinations.com. Folks, I know that we've talked a little bit about the upcoming cruise that Jim and I are doing in September of 22 with Storybook Destinations. We're calling it the Disney Dish on the Disney Wish. Uh, and I think I noted in the last episode, we had sold out of our original allotment of rooms. We got a second allotment. There are now a couple of those left, but not very many. If you want to uh, get in on this cruise, storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish. All right, Jim, every show should begin with a round of self-congratulations. Back in October, when we reviewed Epcot's Harmonious show, we said that the best thing about it was the original music composed by Pinar Tobrak, and that she should write more music for Epcot. Well, last week, Disney announced that Epcot would be getting a new soundtrack in 2023, composed by, you guessed it, Pinar Tobrak. So that's good news. Jim, your feelings on this? very cool. I don't know if you, you've actually seen the ad they're doing now for Harmonious, which shows these happy families standing in front of the circle as they watch an image from Beauty and the Beast right. on the, the miss screen in the middle. This entire thing that's shot, so the you know, you see the families framed in such a way that the miss curtain is, you know, in the circle, the you know, the Stargate is right in front of them. Yeah. And you and I both know going into the holiday season. That area right now is a stage surrounded by Christmas trees. You exactly. Know. <laughs> I was going to say, I saw Harmonious from the exact perfect spot right. on Tuesday. But to get there, Jim, mm-hmm. I had to walk past the Christmas trees and past the tent. And that was what I was going to say. Like, I finally got to, to glimpse like three minutes of the show. Yeah, it's vastly different if you're in the, you know, the 10 square feet of Epcot where that viewing angle makes sense. Remember that commercial they did at Walt Disney World where you saw a family checking into their room at the resort and they throw open the balcony yeah. windows and the Cinderella <laughs> Castle was like right, right there. there. Yeah. <laughs> this is the same thing. It's you know, a happy family that has the perfect view of the Stargate. And it's like, really? So you're standing in the three-foot square. Or the giraffes that yeah. poke their head over the balcony in Animal Kingdom <sighs> yeah. Lodge. It just, yeah. I, again, it's... Just it's <laughs> Blatantly dishonest is the phrase that comes immediately to mind. But. I will say that the um, the show looked great from that angle. I hadn't seen all of the effects before. In oh, the, no. uh, the first, But the interesting thing was this. So Tuesday night, we were getting a little bit of a weather change in central Florida. So as a result, I think the cloud cover was relatively low. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening, Jim, is all of the smoke and residual ash from the fireworks we're basically 10 feet above your head the entire. So as we were walking out of Epcot, as we were going through Canada, it was like walking through the rice paddies of Vietnam. People were coming at you, you know, and it was like, uh, what are we, what are we, you know, we're trying to dodge that there's smoke yeah. everywhere. You could smell the fire in the background. I'm like, if we see Charlie Sheen, I'm just going to run. <laughs> Which, I mean, is, in general, is just good advice. You see Charlie Sheen, just turn around and go. Well, well there you go. Yeah. But, good yeah. But it was it looked really good. And then afterwards it was like not only Vietnam, but my other my other thing was like if we had some Jimi Hendrix music here, this oh. could be this could be Woodstock. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. This just reminds me of the friend who was watching an earlier World Showcase Lagoon show and and actually got hit in the head with one of the cardboard tubes from the, you know, yeah. uh, you know from the fireworks. <laughs> from the fireworks, yeah, some of, the, some of the debris that falls, yeah. That's a weird thing. On a Disney vacation, you toggle back and forth between lawsuit and really cool souvenir. And, you know, <laughs> the, and he opted for really cool souvenir. That's awesome. Well, there you go. All right, fair enough. Also uh, in the news, parking lot trams return to the Magic Kingdom this month. Looking forward to that. And then the rest of the resort in 2022. Jim, the thing that I found hilarious here was that mm-hmm. Disney was actually promoting this as a benefit 
<laughs> hey guys, running water in the bathroom is part of the 50th anniversary celebration here at Walt Disney well, World. Did you also see the video that bubbled up that somebody grabbed with their phone where they were out in the parking lot practicing? It had been so long since. Yeah. And more to the point, they're also bringing new tram drivers on. Yeah. Well, it's funny that that trailer is shot in the parking lot where the trams have been parked for a mm-hmm. year, over a year. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, I, you know, you drive past it if you're going behind Magic Kingdom up to north, like north of Magic Kingdom. And like you could see mm-hmm. in the trailer that was so staged. But like you could see like exactly where it is, but it's uh the weird thing about the trams for me. It's like it's just another like break glass in case of emergency. It's like Disney just has an entire wall of just break glass in case of emergency, and then like they you know something goes wrong and they're like bring back the trams. They break that glass, and then something oh yeah something goes into it's, the news. Yeah, they- break the break the glass that we're bringing. Oh, genie didn't do well yesterday. Uh, we're gonna bring back. Uh, magic happens maybe. Break break that glass. Exactly. Oh, let's uh, let's talk about the Galactic Star Cruiser again. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Mm, let, let's not. <laughs> let's not break another glass. By the way, uh, did, uh, apparently there are a number of cancellations that have happened mm-hmm. on the Galactic Star Cruiser because availability has now popped up in the first three months. So this coincides with the timeline of deposit commitments for the Galactic Star Cruiser. So I believe the way that it works is you put your deposit down. And 20% of that is guaranteed. So even if you decided to cancel like 10 minutes after you made the reservation, you forfeit 20% of your deposit. And I think for some of the folks who are canceling now, the next commitment was a 50% deposit without refund. And that's where some of them had made the decision that uh, maybe this doesn't sound as great as we thought, and we're not going to spend $6,000 on this. The timing is intriguing because I don't know if you saw the ABC Disney holiday special one of the, I want to say, trilogy of, of specials they typically do each year where they shoot in the park and pop stars sing in front of Cinderella Castle and that sort of thing. They did a segment aboard the Galactic Star Cruiser featuring the kid from the Goldbergs. Mm-hmm. Evidently, it was so poorly received that Disney has since pulled it down. That, right. you know, there were so many negative comments about how bad it looked. And it just sort of like... This was supposed to help sell this. And the fact right. that in the same window of time, and I mean, I think you're probably more right about this than I am, the effect of we're coming up on a window where you can cancel and you only get hit with the 20% penalty of the 50%. Yeah, that, that, that YouTube video was astounding in that it fairly quickly ended up with like 50% more negative comments mm-hmm. and, and downvotes than positive. And uh, Christina, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the kids today call that being ratioed. <laughs> oh, um, I'm like perimenopausal. I don't think I qualify. As- <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, you're up. Is uh, it- uh, I'm also going through menopause. Um, the, oh. no, the, the, no, the, Darn it. the, no, the, so mm. it, it was, uh, yes, it's ratioed. It was, I am, I could speak as a YouTube person, but yeah, mm-hmm. it was the weird thing yeah. about that trailer though, is it was scrubbed. It wasn't just, mm-hmm. they didn't just stop running it. They didn't just take it off no, of. It was, it, it was like stalin It, it, it like, was, <laughs> this never existed. It's all, and everything I've seen and heard about the Star Cruiser, and, I, and you two probably know much more than I, than I ever will, uh, but it's, mm-hmm. it's like somebody watched only the Star Wars holiday special. It's like the OJ case <laughs> where they're like, who has never heard of OJ Simpson? Who's on this jury? And they found that person that has right. never heard of Star Wars, showed them the Star Wars holiday special, and then they're like, you have full creative control. And, and <laughs> we need it. We need a trailer. And I'm in, and I'm in it. 
I, I, I would love it if that's the case. I, I want it to be terrible and weird. I don't well, know, man. Six grand. I don't, no, know I, I don't want to pay do. it. I just, okay, you just, I just want to make an episode on it someday. <laughs> Did you see the latest hire for Bob Chapek's setup of the end of the company, the, the new chief communications officer? No. Who is it? He is the former British Petroleum employee, <laughs> the one who was in charge of handling the company's response to the Deep Horizon disaster out in the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, JPEG hasn't even officially started yet. And the fact that Zena Muka is headed out the door and it's like, I need a Zena like now before we even get started. And so we're going to go, we're going to go with the spokesperson for British Petroleum. How big a disaster it's looming yeah, over the horizon. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Uh, what, Bob Chippen, what do you know that we don't? You know, this first call though was to Germany like, hey, do you remember the Hindenburg thing? Do you have anybody left? who handled corporate communications for that. We, we have some questions. Who was the guy that got <laughs> Werner von Braun in Disneyland? Uh. <laughs> that was a huge turnaround. We need that guy. There we go. Speaking of disasters, Jim, uh, Genie, Genie Plus and Lightning Lane rolled out in Disneyland last Wednesday, and it promptly crashed all of Disney's systems for the entire day. Did you see this? Oh, yes. Yes. And... To the credit of the frontline cast members who had to deal with the brunt of this and were, you know, spent the entire day basically, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's an unforced error. The thinking was, okay, we're about to go into Disneyland's busiest time of year and it certainly would be great to have this new revenue stream up and running. They knew from what happened in Florida yeah. back in October, it's like, okay, do you really want to do this now? Or well, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned that. And it's funny because when, you know, we're looking at the internal data feed inside of my Disney experience and we saw like a month before Genie rolled out in Walt Disney World, we saw all of the data structures in there and we could see them, you know, tweaking things over time. Disneyland's data appeared like a couple days before the debut. And that's when it came in, I'm like, okay, well, they're going to follow the same process. They're going to test this thing out. They're going to stress test the systems. You know, maybe January, we'll see this after the peak holidays. And then like two days later, we get the announcement, oh, it's starting, you know, tomorrow. First of all, let me, let me just say, I, I have many years of IT experience in a corporate 500 company, com- corporate uh, Fortune 100 company. In mm-hmm. fact, in order to release software this late in the year, you know, because everyone knows that um, December is the busiest time for retail and things like that. In order to release software this late in December, you not only had to have a senior vice president sign off on it on the technology side, but you had to have a corresponding peer on the business side say, yeah, I know what I'm doing and I accept the risks. So you know Disney's internal IT department when they were told, hey, we're going to release this thing second week of December, they were like, we are absolutely not <laughs> unless, unless someone else takes complete responsibility for this. And you know, a lot of people online were complaining about you know, Disney's IT systems and stuff like that. Let me tell you right mm-hmm. now, this was not a Disney IT decision to roll this no, thing out no, in no. December. This was management saying, you will do this on this day, yes or no. Wonderful coming attraction for for 2022. Got better on Wednesday, um, but still a ton of pushback from Disneyland regulars. You saw the uh, the article in the uh, sfgate.com, Jim, yeah. uh, calling for a boycott of the entire program. Uh, we'll talk more it. about this on an upcoming episode. Yeah, we will. All right, but now let's bring in one of our special guests. He's Kevin Perger. He is the founder and owner 
of Defunct Land. It's both a website and a YouTube video channel. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Like I said, it's just it's so great to be here. I've been a fan of both of you for so long, and so I'm just I'm honored to be here. I hope I don't uh, I hope I don't uh, uh, you know. I hope I'm not doing bring down the, the level yeah, of discourse yeah, on your show. Exactly. <laughs> I hope I'm not doing exactly what I'm doing right now. I hope I don't Kevin. freeze. So well, you know, when you, you, you start in the basement, it's hard to, to go lower. But anyway, <laughs> to go so. up on this one. All right. There we go. So, Kevin, what is what is defunct land? Uh, defunct land is a YouTube channel primarily, and you know, I started it back in 2017. This was kind of at the time at, uh, when YouTube uh, for theme parks was really taken off. For a long time, it was for um you know like povs and 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 videos and vlogs of the park but uh, i was kind of at the start and me and a few of my uh you know other fellow uh, youtubers uh were at the start of this kind of what if we turned a lot of the history stories that have been uh you know researched and written by you know people like jim and and people on on different websites on all ears and mice chat and those kind of stories and then we also went back into archives and put these together and presented them in a video format and mm-hmm. um, that's kind of how it started. And it started really as as me making kind of silly videos that weren't as researched and kind of just having fun with it. Um, I also have a dip background in documentaries. I've done documentaries prior to starting the phone plan, and that was kind of my track anyways. Ah, got um, it. Okay. And so, but I would not consider those early defunct land videos documentaries. They are YouTube videos where I'm just being fun and nobody's watching. And then people started watching. And so then I started to, in turn, kind of bring more of my documentary voice into it and really try to go deeper and dive deeper. And and it's and it's been great. So it's a, you know, it's a YouTube series where I dive into the history of defunct rides, defunct parks, uh, defunct ideas, as well mm-hmm. as we have a spinoff series that we do uh, old children's television shows. So all, all, <laughs> all sorts of stuff, you know, like uh, the old the Disney Channel shows. We did a whole like four episodes on that. Welcome to Pooh Corner stuff like stuff. Some of the stuff you can see on Dumbo Circus, and then also Jim Henson and all his shows. And and so yeah, so it's 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 a lot of looking at children's media and connecting it to larger topics in world life, society, and then also just having fun and talking about you know theme parks. That's fantastic. And your most recent video is on the history of Fast Pass. Why did you pick that as a topic? Well, you know, honestly, it was uh, spo- I you know I I needed a video to go in between I'm working on this huge project right now and I've been working on it for quite some time and it's this it's this big Epcot kind of documentary I've been doing the season and you know I, I break defunct late into seasons uh half mm-hmm. because for organization half because I'm pretentious and I like to pretend I'm doing a tv show <laughs> but I I uh I, I like it so I in season season three is this long winding narrative it starts back in 1851 at the World's Fair in in uh not in Chicago in London Great Exposition I think and then it goes to the 1890s and Ferris wheel and Walt Disney's dad and so on and so forth. And we just got all the way up after almost a year and a half to halfway through. And we're now at Epcot's opening. It's all about futurism. This season's all about uh, futurism and the the death of uh, the invented future. And, uh, And so it's this long winding narrative. If you watch it in order, it's a big payoff. So, but this middle episode is, is kind of this weird avant garde tribute to Epcot where it's all music and, and imagery. It's like a, it's like a music video almost, but it tells the story of how, because I just did an episode a year ago on Walt's City of the Future, which was another right. one of those huge, like, all-out research, reading books, and even going and interviewing people and stuff, and stuff like that. And so next is this big avant-garde art piece, and I needed more time. 
because I wasn't going to finish it and I needed a video. So I thought fast pass that's going okay. defunct. That's like 15, 20 minute video. Let's just not, let's just <laughs> knock that out. You, you, you thought it was going to be the history of fast pass was going to be a 15 or 20. Minute I did. Video. And I, uh, and God, I love the, I love the optimism. I know. Never, never lose that. Yeah. Ever. I, I, and I was like, you know what? This is going to be, I'll just do this and it'll give me more time for my big artsy, artsy yeah. thing. And let's do it. So, and it was going defunct, and I and I do defunct things. That's the thing that I do, defunct land. And so I was like, perfect. And it turned into this winding mess of you know of eye opening like research that you know we can get into the specifics. But it was just one of those. My my philosophy with with the stories is like you know the stories dictate how long they are. I'm not sure. here to say I'm not. I don't want to stretch a story out, and I don't want to take a long story and do it fast. Because there's only so many subjects in this in this space. Right. It's a finite number. And I could do this and I'm never gonna get to all of them, but I, I don't want to just do a five minute video a week and then oh I've done everything anybody's ever heard of. I want to do the story right. Right. And unfortunately, this story took an hour and forty minutes to do. <laughs> We've joked about okay. So yeah. originally you thought it was gonna be a fifteen or twenty minute video. Yeah, yeah. When did you when did you realize like 15 or 20 minutes isn't going to be enough. Like once you started writing the script, at what point were you like, you know what? I, I really needed to, to do this in detail. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really early on that I realized, okay, this video is wholly unsatisfying. If I don't answer the question, everybody has about fast pass, which is, which does is. it make lines longer? And no, right. and nobody knows what they mean by that. They, that's what everybody thinks. And, and right. so what do you mean? Do you mean that it makes wait times longer? Do you, do you mean that there are more people in line? Do you mean that overall you wait yeah, longer? You, like, like, and, and, yeah, do you, and yeah, do you see more rides? Yeah, do you, do you see, see more rides? rides? Like, what do you mean? But the, yeah. everybody's question is, does it make lines longer? So you have to answer that, but you also have to define that. And then I'm like, uh-oh. And then, and then I was yeah. like, well, yeah. I'll just make a, a quick math problem. And, <laughs> and then I think I put on Twitter, I was like, hey, does anybody know how to like do math? And I'm trying to simulate a theme park and all these people were like, yeah, that's not possible. And then you were like, it's possible, but it's not easy. And then you reached it's out. It's possible, but it's not yeah, easy. Yeah. yeah. Len, you reached out. I was like, oh my gosh. And and because you're a celebrity to me. And so is Jim. Uh, <laughs> and uh, both of you are. And, you know, Jim, I, I've been reading Jim's articles for years. Obviously, I, I cite I cite him in the show frequently. He's in the Fast Pass episode. And and Len, you helped with this. And I've been following an unofficial guide and touring plans. So it, like when you reached out, I was like, it was like, uh, it was, a, it was like Tom Cruise. And so I was like the Tom Cruise of Disney. And I was trying to explain it to people. And my friends don't care about what I do. So they definitely don't know like what's going yeah, on. <laughs> and so I'm like, you don't understand. Yeah. And so then we started working on the simulation. And that's when I knew this was going to be an issue. <laughs> and that, that was going to be a yeah. long video. And so, but, but yeah, so we did a simulation in tandem with the video and, and uh, yeah, so that, that's when I knew I was like, you know what? And also even to get to the point and this to where I could say, explain the findings, I have to talk about what a line is and, and yeah. whatever, cause I've done so many episodes and, and I, and I know you, oh, you have two where it's just an Imagineer has an idea and then they try to execute it. But then the businessman comes in and says something. And I love that story. And I've told it a thousand different ways in a thousand different times. And it's awesome. And it's I love that story. But this is not that story. It's a story of how do we control this mess of millions of people that come into this park? It's an operation story. Right. And that was new territory for both me and for the audience. And so that just required a lot of a long running time. But I, I think it justifies its runtime. 
So. You did a great job of, uh, of describing um, how lines work, including things like bulking factors, right? When, when people look at the wait time sign out in front of an attraction, you know, and they say, they make a determination whether waiting however long that sign says is worth it for that particular ride. And you actually included that in the simulation as well, right? When you, you did your fictional theme park, which you called Shapeland. Yes. Right. What I loved about this documentary was the reveal two thirds of the way through that, you know, after five to 10 minutes of explaining how Shapeland was laid out and the various attractions yeah. and yeah. how people travel through it and then reveal, oh, by the way, Shapeland is actually Animal Kingdom. Right. It was like Soylent Green is people for me. <laughs> no, that's it exactly. It was <laughs> such a great moment. Oh, and thank you. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Yeah. You know. And if you, read, if you read the YouTube comments, again, this thing, I don't, I don't know, Kevin, how many, the last time I checked, this thing had like 2.4 million YouTube. It's at 3.3 uh, million now. So 3.3. Which is, which right. is crazy for me. This is, is, I've never had this before. It's so. insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a great video, but the comment, everyone is like, you know, the reveal at, I think it's like a minute 58 or whatever, that Shapeland is, is Animal Kingdom. It blows everybody's mind. Not only that, but it's Animal Kingdom on a specific day, right? Because yes, you took, yes. you, you used Touring Plans data. Yes, I've used Touring Plans it. data and that was, and that was what was really great. And so the way that worked for, you know, whether you want to watch the video or not, uh, but the, you know, the, just real quick, the way, it, yes, the simulation is very complex and I'm really glad that reveal, and I'll be honest, as an artist, uh, or, you know, a YouTuber that calls himself an artist. I really want to like make moments happen like that. And yeah. I really want to be like, yes, that's exactly what I wanted this response. But honestly, I was shocked at how that got people. <laughs> and and I was thrilled, but I was like, man, I kind of wish I would have done that more on purpose, but I'll take it. No, take it. And so because it was, you know, the reason it was that way, it was because I wanted you to see and it was actually done practically. It wasn't done for the reveal. I thought that'd be a funny moment. And it'd be like, oh, that's perfect. But it was also done so you could just absorb the data through this really yeah. simple shape land without any preconceived notions. Because if, right. if I, if I literally did the exact same 10 minute segment that Jim described, but I had sh- animal kingdom and I described, mm-hmm. and then, you know, this many people ride flight of passage, we'd have comments saying, well, I wouldn't do that for flight of passage or, this, right, this, right, or this. Right. but, but, but to reveal it later, it's like, it takes you out of it. It's not any less correct. And it's just that it's just like, just look at this blank slate, and now it's this. And it's, so it is one day. And the, the simulation is far more complex, as you know, than is described <laughs> in the video. Not only in the fact and how it's made, but it has factors that is, aren't described in the video. So let's, let's talk about that because I was super interested in the computer code behind the simulation. And you and I talked a little bit about it before. I think you hired Michael, the, uh, the developer. And I was like, look, this is going to take six months and cost you know, many tens of thousands of dollars. And because that's where I, you know, we've, we've looked at it, right? And Michael did a great job, you know, in developing it. But internally in the code, in order to simulate the population of people who are in a theme park at any given time, you really had to simulate many tens of thousands of individual guests, all making independent decisions at the same time. And for me, that's what was really interesting that you actually broke it down into the individual person level and ran the simulation that way, which was super clever, but also amazingly complicated, right? Yeah. And it's more complicated than I think I can realize. And and Michael, the engineer is a PhD in industrial engineering. So this, this was hard for him even, but this was his wheelhouse, but it was a lot of, you know, the reason I think it went as quickly as it did, it still took over a month to do this uh, with him working and, you know, on and off and being like, hey, I need you to add a feature. But like, uh, you know, it it was and what was nice is it spit out guest logs. And that was really how we did a lot of the 
te- a lot of the making sure it worked is because at the end of every run, and it takes a while to run this depending on your machine because it is calculating 50,000 people's decisions. Um, yeah. And so it, once it spits it out, I would, okay, it's done. I go over and I look and then I have five guests that pulled at random and it describes what they did that day. And this isn't in the video, but it's really nice because then I can be like, okay, so guest 2034, they did mm-hmm. something logical. And it, and every now and then yeah. they wouldn't do something logical and then we'd have to go fix it. And then something like that. Yeah. And, and the cool part about the simulation that isn't in the video is there's it's just so complex because I talk about bulking time. Everybody has a different bulking time. Um, well, there's all right. these archetypes. So, you know, Jim and Len, you're probably... Uh, I don't know, you'd probably be ride enthusiasts if you're experiencing a ride you've never done where you just would get in line because you have to do All it. Right, so you, you, broke down, you broke down the guests into different personalities exactly, or architects, exactly. you call it. Right? So, okay. To make sure that not everybody was the same and making the same decisions mm-hmm. because then it would be too unrealistic. And so right. there's like six or seven different archetypes and everybody has like, oh, like the annual pass holder won't wait more than 30 minutes for a ride because they're here every Friday. But this person is only here once in a lifetime. They will wait two hours. But what I don't talk about in the video is that the bulking time is actually dynamic. So the more popular the attraction, based on the popularity ranking in the simulation, the longer each guest is willing to wait. And so it's an added value. And we've seen this, right? We've seen this like uh, with Flight of Passage in Animal Kingdom or Soren and Epcot. You know, if people know, look, this is a headliner ride, one of the best things in Walt Disney World. The sky's the limit in terms of what those people can wait. We've seen five-hour waits at Soren on New Year's Eve. We've seen six-hour actual waits at Flight of Passage. So that's completely realistic, and that's built into the code. And, right? and that's all in the code, and and it, and, it, and, yeah. and that's what's great is it's like, okay, well, I, I don't, I'm not waiting more than an hour for a ride because I come here once a year, and I just want to have fun. Right. But I've never seen right. Flight of Passage, so I'm willing to wait two hours for that ride. And then everybody, sure. you see what happens. And then we also have things like that aren't mentioned, like adult and child eligibility, because not and because a park is made up of children and adults, and not and not not all the children can ride Expedition Everest, and not all the adults right. will ride Triceratops Spin, and so that's built in. And so we have, and so that's really complex. Like certain attractions have certain things turned on, and, and then so once we got all that situated and all the different things, stay time preference, how long they want to stay in the park, we ran the code, mm-hmm. and then. We ran it with FastPass with every attraction that on, I think it was like March 24th, 2019, which was like, it was around spring break. So it wasn't Christmas day, but it also wasn't September. Yeah. That's kind of why I did it. Right. It was like, okay, this is, this is a perfect day for something like FastPass Plus to work or not work. Cause it's like an sure. eight out of 10 crowd level uh, according to touring plans. And so, uh, and so, so we run the simulation and then I kept running it and I kept adjusting factors because the popularity ranking wasn't based off of like, oh, well, you know, I think Flight of Passage is the most popular ride, or I think Expedition Everest isn't the most popular. It wasn't, it was not me making those decisions. It was run the simulation. What did the guests decide to do? What are the wait time averages throughout the day? Compare that to the touring plans data on the wait time average. Yeah, compare that to what actually happened. Yeah, right? And then yeah. keep adjusting popularity, keep adjusting bulking points, keep adjusting all those factors I just mentioned until it's pretty much exact. To where with FastPass Plus and all those rides, I could see Expedition Everest average weight according to touring plans on March 24th, 110 minutes. In my simulation, 105. Good enough. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, close, and yeah. then just turn it all off and then have everybody make the exact same decisions. It's the exact same people doing the exact same thing and see. And obviously, it's not the exact same decisions because without FastPass, you're making different decisions. Right. But it's the same people with the same preferences and the same idea of what they want to do. And then have them do the exact same thing without FastPass and then just compare the results. 
So without uh, giving the ending away, what were uh, some of the conclusions that you were able to get from the simulation? I mean, it, it's interesting. If you if you haven't seen the video, I would I would love you to watch it, but it's also an hour and 40 minutes, so <laughs> I will give away some of the ending. But it's, you know, it, it was it was one of those it's not as black and white as people think it was. Right. Like everything. It, it, uh, <laughs> yeah, so this is the thing that I tell people all the time when because we get asked complicated we get asked to simplify complicated questions. Mm-hmm all the time. You know, sh- when when I come into the park, should I go left or right? Or, you know, should I see Seven Doors Mind Train first in the Magic Kingdom? And the answer to those questions is always, it depends. Like, it depends on what other information you need to tell me for me to make my decision, right? So I, I get where you're coming from there. And and it was and it was very much uh, the, the, the conclusions of, okay, so what do we look at? And that was very important because this is a lot of dense information. And and the video between right. the, I, you know, I wrote the music, I did the animation myself, I did all the narration and the script and, you know, and and, and I had a lot of help from a lot of great people, including you, Len, and, the, and I can't thank you enough for that. And Michael, the simulation engineer. So I had a lot of help, but as far as how to communicate all the information that I was helped with, and right. Bruce Laval himself, who invented FastPass, helped out, and and of course I listened to the interview that Jim did with Bruce, and all sorts of different things, you know, the or the the podcast episode you did about it way back when, yeah. uh, and so you know, and and all that was the wonderful, and so there was all that, and then it was my role to then give that to an audience to explain, to explain it, it. Right, yeah, and then that is where it gets hard, and I think what was the mo- most difficult part was because it starts out, and the first thing I say is, how much do you know about lines? And then I go yeah. into this big kind of explanation and then I add a little history and then I go back and forth. But by the end, it's what are we actually looking at for this conclusion? What do you want to know? Right. And that's what I mentioned earlier, which is people say, oh, fast pass is great because it makes lines shorter or it makes lines longer. And it's like, what do you mean by that? So what we looked at is does fast pass make standby weights longer? Does it make average overall weights longer or shorter? And then does it make uh, you know, how many rides can you ride in a day? So, and I can go through these real quick, but the standby weights go up on average. Yep. Which is what we, we, we agree yeah, with. We, that. we speculated that and, and it's pretty clear. The overall weights though, go down significantly. So that mm-hmm. includes on average, everybody that's riding. So I waited 10 minutes for fast pass. You waited uh, 20 minutes for standby. It, the mm-hmm. average of that is 15 minutes. Uh, between us okay and that's that's mildly surprising because i think when um, when we looked at the original intent of fast pass disney's industrial engineers thought that for at least many rides the wait times would actually go up yes the, the well they thought the standby they, they thought the standby weights would go up would go and, up right? and but the average you're talking you're talking now about the average, average weight oh, including the average weight including pass. how long you're waiting in line and that was hard because you know some people really were like well i'm waiting for my fast pass even though i'm not in line no you're not that doesn't count you do, it yeah, does no, not count <laughs> that's free time yeah it's it's yeah. free time because you, then in that case you could wait in a t- 12 hour day at the park you could wait 24 hours right you could wait longer than you exist that's not possible <laughs> You know, yeah. the, the, you know, for instance, I'm waiting for Guardians of the Galaxy right now. <laughs> I've been waiting yeah. three, four, I've not, been waiting not, five years for Tron. Like, yeah. you know, it's not, not that's exactly not how that same. works. Yeah. So, but what was interesting is that, uh, let's look at a really, you know, short example. Uh, so yeah. there's two rides. One has a hour long wait and the other has a zero minute wait. Everybody that walks right. into the park will go to the hour long wait. 
because nobody wants to ride the ride that has a zero minute wait. So everybody just goes to that hour long wait. So throughout the day, 160 minutes, one zero minutes. The average standby wait in that park is 30 minutes, right? Because zero plus 60 divided by two is 30. So if you looked at the park as a whole, the average standby wait is only 30 minutes. But the average time guests actually ended up waiting is 60 minutes because nobody went to the zero minute ride. Everybody's funneling into the 60 minutes. And so that's why when we talk about overall weights, we got what are people actually doing? It's not just standby weights increase. What are they doing? And then when we look at average amount of attractions ridden, which does go up with Fast Pass, what are those rides being ridden? And that's where we enter the realm of subjectivity. And that's when I end the video and run away because (laughs) because I don't want to get into that argument because what is more valuable, a park where the standby weights are shorter and you as a guest have more decision, your decisions dictate your vacation or a park where you ride more attractions with the asterisk being that one of those attractions is Triceratops spin. Right. And it's a, it's a quality versus quantity, quality versus quantity. And then the worst thing about fast pass and the thing that the simulation that I speculated that the simulation showed is that it's, it's an uneven distribution because the the best thing that we did with the simulation, the thing that we, I, I was pretty adamant about adding was that we need to make sure that a certain amount of guests don't use the system. Right. They, they either, they either refuse to participate or they don't know about it, which is true in the real world. It's absolutely true in the real world. And I think we even gave FastPass more of a benefit of the doubt than we deserved based on data I've seen. We gave, we said 70% of guests know and will use the system. I think that's a little bit optimistic. I mean, I would say more like 60%. Uh, but, I agree. I mean, but, we're quibbling on the margins. And, right and everything was a little optimistic. Like all the rides, yeah. rather than having an 80-20, had a 70-30 because that's what it's mm-hmm. designed to have. But we know what happens in the park that day. We know an attraction right. goes down. We know that everybody scatters with their any use fast passes. And, you know, we know what happens, but it's like we just have to have the perfect world here and we have to give fast pass the benefit of the doubt. And so even then what we found was it's it's a mix. What do you care about? Do you just care about how many rides you rode like a tattoo, like you're going to yeah. tattoo it on your arm? Because if that's the case, great. But if you care about decision making and writing you know, any ride and having flexibility, then no, FastPass isn't good for you. And then overall, the biggest takeaway was that what we found that with FastPass in our part, in Animal Kingdom, it took us to ride the six top attractions around 10 hours without FastPass and around four Mm -hmm. hours with FastPass Plus. And in in, in a park without, sorry, in a park with, with FastPass Plus, the guests that didn't use the system, it took them over a day it took them an entire day without bathroom breaks or lunch or anything to ride the top six attractions of animal kingdom. And it took those using fast pass plus under four hours. And this was corroborated by people, you know, that I interviewed within the company that were very much like, this was not the plan, but they definitely weren't, they didn't have a problem with it. And so there's a skit towards the end of the video where I have, I use dots throughout and they're talking to one another. And, uh, and, you know, it's like an executive kind of explaining the, right. the, the master plan. That is not me just making a joke. I was like, that's kind of what I was told internally was they created a beast. They really didn't yeah. know what would happen. It kind of right. went awry. But then somebody said, wait a minute, this is OK. We can yeah. charge for it. <laughs> and and that, that's what that's what happened. And, 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 so, and right. so that's kind of that's kind of the, the video and, and the simulation as a whole. So. All right. So, so last question. Um, we know that the video has been super popular, right? You mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, 3 million plus views on it. Has anyone who actually worked on FastPass 
besides the people you've already mentioned, have, have any of them gotten in touch with you to share their memories? I, of how well, the, I got a lot of cast members and yeah. a lot of people that were like, thank you. <laughs> because and I and I know you too because I listened to your show for so long and and Jim even did it earlier in this in this podcast and in, in, in this show where it's like the people on the ground are the are the real heroes they're the people that have to yeah. deal with these changes it, we're seeing it right now with Genie Plus you know the, the the cast member you know working their butt off in Disneyland right now it's not their fault that the system went down it's not even right. really IT's fault it's so far up the ladder and that's what's been nice is people within IT, people that worked on My Magic Plus, because the video really does all it all. It goes into My Magic Plus, uh, it better for an hour and forty minutes. But it, that's what's been great is people have reached out and said thank you for shining a light on operations, because you yeah. know Imagineers are wonderful and they're hardworking as well and they're cool and they get a lot of the praise. But we don't always get to talk about the the guy at the merge, the guy or girl or whoever at the merge point that is saying. Yes. Eight eight fast pass two standby right who's eight actually who's pass. actually counting out yeah, right. the 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 rate the right ratios right and that's yeah. been great nobody really internally and the the coolest thing honestly and, and there's a few Disney industrial engineers that have that have said they like the video but just industrial engineers in general I just think they they just didn't get a lot of love and yeah. so it's been cool to be like oh it's like it's like they got their own like uh, action movie almost <laughs> they got the, it's like you know for an industrial engineer <laughs> they're the hero yeah they're the hero of the story yeah right? it's, it's it's like these people are awesome they they they, it's, they work with their engineering human behavior and in cues and stuff and like you know in any other scenario that's kind of an unsung profession but i've got a lot of people a lot of kids that watch the video or, or young people that are like i'm actually considering going into industrial engineering and this put me over it tipped me over i'm into it i i love it i want to do it now and i'm yeah. like oh that's that's cool i'm all here for the nerds and for the underdogs and for the cast members and and so that that's what's been really cool is to get people that are like that, that are just nerdy because i'm nerdy obviously so that's fantastic and uh, and real quick, Kevin, where can people find the video? Uh, YouTube.com slash defunctland. Um, that that's where everything is. And yeah, and and I and if you if you have an hour and forty minutes of your time, I'd I'd, I'd love for you to check it out. All right, man. Thanks for, very much for being on the show. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks so much. I, I appreciate it. And and again, I'm just such huge fans of you too. So I'm sorry if I'm long winded. No, no, that's great. I was just I'm just happy to be here. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks again, Kevin. All right. Uh, and then our other special guest today is Christina from touringplans.com, who has been in. Epcot for Festival of the Holidays, and we'll give us a quick update on the best and worst food items. Welcome to the show, Christina. Yeah. Whose idea was it to have me on with Kevin? I think it was mine. If you want me to quit, or if you want to fire me, <laughs> there's easier ways. <laughs> like, Kevin, oh, there's you no. and Kevin and Jim, and then I'm like, look at this cupcake. Oh my God, you guys, this cookie is so good. <laughs> well, I want to know. You don't understand. This is why people actually go to the park this time yeah. of year. Right? Eating is important. By the way, uh, people don't go to the park to stand in lines. I, no, they, I, they I feel go like to, I'm the one that needs the helmet here. Like <laughs> special kids so, on the leash. I've got the helmet. Oh, earlier no. today, Christy and I were debating whether to buy an electric candelabra. No, I already for for no, food no. photos at Epcot. Yeah. No, there's no debate. I don't want just a single candle because I'm fancy. <laughs> no, no, no. You need a candelabra. Yeah. You need like like Bugs Bunny yeah. sitting down at a piano yeah. candelabra. Obviously, right. um, also, I'm just pushing. We've been through security now on um, on the first. I can't believe mm. we got through security with all the stuff we did. And then again, the other day with the gingerbread snap down. At this point, I'm just trying to see like. What can what, what will they stop you? Yeah, what will what's what is the a bridge too far? Yeah. yeah. Did you see the thing that bubbled up through social media just last night or thereabouts where somebody has created 
tablecloths. That's that's what that's what kicked off our conversation. <laughs> tablecloths for trash cans in Epcot yeah, to eat on. Yes, yes. You know, it's just sort of like a lovely compliment to the candelabra. But but yeah, I would I really would really like to see that moment at bag check. <laughs> I might record it because at, at this point I'm like, really? They we went through the other day, and I was like, really, really. You don't. I have like six hundred pounds of gingerbread paraphernalia. Really? Yeah. When I went through for the gingerbread challenge, when I went through security, oh, I was yeah. carrying um, industrial adhesives. So I had caulk, epoxy, painter's plumber's tape. putty, yeah. painter's tape, and a bunch of. And so you know, security was like, you know, what you doing? <laughs> and uh, and so I I explained like you know my family's having a gingerbread house building contest. This mm-hmm. year's theme is cheat like hell. Um, mm-hmm. And so I you know I. This is this is what I'm doing, and they're like, "Oh, okay, good luck." It's <laughs> <laughs> my time. So, Christina, start us off. What's the best thing in Festival of Holidays right now? You will not make me pin down one thing. I'm gonna tell you a couple real quick. Okay. First of all, the fact that it feels like old Disney, like before times, and and there's a couple reasons for that. That's reason enough to go. Like if you're on the fence, the fact that they have. They're giving us more, like the whole surprise and delight stuff that they're not advertising, rather than, oh, man, they took away more stuff. Pure joy. And I'll give you a couple examples. The best, there's a couple food items that are worth the trip that I have spent my own money and your own money on sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, it's only it's only here for like a couple of days. The first one is the fig cocktail in Morocco. A fig cocktail. Holy heavenly goodness. It's it goes well with all of the food, the lamb kebab, the chicken kebab, the bread. There's also a fig dip. All, everything in Morocco, just get everything. One of each, please. Um, and that's, um, you know, if you don't want to share with your kid, like Gigi, like the bread, so you get two breads. But the fig cocktail okay. is remarkable. It's $11, super good value um, considering, you know, it's a, it's a food festival. The other thing is for sure the the fondue in Germany. It's enormous. It's an entire loaf of bread filled with hot cheese. What kind of cheese? Delicious. Okay. Um, right. That's a, that's a kind of cheese. Of heaven. Uh, I'm guessing, you know, most um, fondue is what? Fontina. There's got to be like a little bit of like it's a good melty cheese. I mean, sometimes it's Swiss. Yeah, but it's a, it's got to be it's got to be a low melting point, no, right? This was not. Yeah, there's I don't think there's any Swiss in there. I'm looking it up right now. I have the guide in front of me. I just know it's fantastic. Um, but there are a couple things. Uh, the one other thing that you must do is the cookie stroll. I'm not normally an enormous fan of the cookie stroll. But the fact that each cookie is only two fifty. So what the cookie stroll is is you get your your passport when you come in, right? Your festival passport, and in the back right. it has these little this spot for you the the menu where you get five stamps and then you get a free cookie at the end. That's normal. But this year, one of the things that they did is when you've got your five cookies, and even though it says you have to get five different cookies, in my Right. Vast experience this time. You don't have to if you get two cookies. Five of, five of any cookie. Whatever. They're looking at five stamps. Stamp is what you're it, yeah. It, cast members are wonderful. You get the ornament cookie um, when you go and redeem. And this is for free. Otherwise, you can buy the ornament cookie for $3. You get the ornament cookie. You get a, a tiny chocolate peppermint shake in a collectible cup. Keeps a cup that's adorable. It has the little Mickey gingerbreads. And then you get an ornament, 25 days of uh, of Christmas ornament. And it's not advertised that you get all these things, but you get three free things for buying these five cookies. 
And that was delightful. It was wonderful. Really? That's fantastic. It really is. That that was really nice. And they didn't run out. I purposely went late Ooh. at night, right before Harmonious, and they still had all the cups, which, as you remember from last year's Festival of the Arts, with the pop art um, tomato soup can, that was gone right. after, what, two hours on day one, and then it was sporadic at best. But, okay, but they didn't, they didn't run out of anything here. No! It was great. Which is That's kind great. of the annual impressive, cast. given just the supply chain issues this time yeah. around. Well, it, uh, Jim, you're obviously, you know better than everybody, but um, is that getting better? Because it feels like the merch situation is getting better, and we're not seeing... You know, issues like well, you know, again, you remember Mr. Biden, you know, made that a priority about, you know, that they were going to keep the ports in L.A. open 24-7. And a lot of the container ships that have Disney stuff have been unloaded. And it's more an issue of trucks heading east, uh-huh. you know, right. just, you know, getting yeah. drivers to get that stuff. But, so, yeah. so step one, the, uh, the Biden administration imposed a $100 a day fine oh, on right. containers that were, um, were not uh, unloaded and dispatched at the port of Los Angeles. And that was enough incentive to get people to hire more staff to unload the, the ship. So now, Jim, to your point, the issue is logi- uh, trucking logistics. The weird thing is it's bubbling up in, in strange directions. Like, you know, I think we talked on, on an earlier show about the different fireworks shells that are finally appearing and right. harmonious because oh. it's like, hey, they got here. That reminds me, uh, sometime this week, probably around the 16th, there is an Epcot fireworks test, Jim, at uh, 11.30 p.m. This might be holiday tag, Ooh, I'm guessing. It's only like 45 minutes. Christy, I don't know if you're going to be around Epcot around uh, 11.30 p.m. on the 16th. I can be, sure. Stock up on cookies, okay? Oh, yeah. That's it, cocktail. I'm good. I'll hang out. There we go. Exactly. Okay. All right, so Christy, what's, uh, what's not good? Italy. At the festival. You know, every year I say it, Italy is just overpriced for what it is. What uh, what did you find this year? Well, the thing that was so stressful, and I think I sent you a picture. We didn't post it because we're not in that kind of business, but I guess we'll talk about it now. Um, the raviolis, like they're fine, but they're $13. And then they rolled up as I'm standing there eating it, and I'm trying to justify $13, which will never happen. Like that was your- 13, $13 is a pound of ravioli at Whole Foods. I mean- never going to happen. That. Yeah. And not my money. Um, mm. They rolled up with the, the cart of the frozen ravioli. So, of course, I go on Publix's website. You can buy them at Publix, the same brand. You can buy them at Walmart. You can get two or three bags for the price of the one. And then, yeah. like mm. the donuts, they're fine. You know, they're Nutella. Nutella. I, there was a controversy on how we said that. Um, they're like $3.66 each. And then if you go down to so, Lucaya, so $11 for three donuts. Tiny, like munchies. Yeah. Don't go whole donuts. And they're like, they're fine. But again, $11 worth of donuts. If you go to Dunkin' Donuts, that's, yeah. that's like two dozen donuts. The donut box. Go to the donut box and spend your $11 and you're getting like six pounds of donuts. And they're yeah. But down at L'Chaim, you know, if you go get your black and white or you get your little mint uh, jelly donuts, yeah. those are very reasonable. Like, what is it? Three fifty. Yeah, these are donut holes, but filled with jelly, right? Same size. And those are del- those are delicious. Delightful, wonderful. So, so would you rather have nine jelly-filled donuts at L'Chaim Hello. or three donuts at Italy? All I mean, that matters. I, 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 I can... Donuts is volume. That's <laughs> literally rule look, of donuts. Look, 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 
the the metric the metric that we use to evaluate donuts is more. Uh, obviously, <laughs> uh, well, but you know, it, it's interesting you say that because I think honestly, from when our our, our recent walk around of Epcot, and if you think about the expansion area now behind the classic Italy Pavilion, the thinking is, well, look at look at the space, you know, look yeah. at where you're lingering. So we can get away with charging people more to linger in this space where, you know, think about Lakayam is a lovely little booth, but it's a lovely little booth. It. So it's, yeah. you know. But in, in the, yeah, between, uh, was it France and Morocco or, yeah, or in that area? Yeah. It's completely different than Italy where not only do you have like the entire Italy pavilion right there, but you've got that new uh, gelateria. And also you've got, you've got the, the fireworks viewing areas right there for harmonious, right? So, yeah. So that's that's it exactly. Location, 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 location. location. Exactly. and you know you're going to pay top dollar for donuts because of that. All right, Christy, what else? Uh, what else should we avoid at uh, festival holiday? The only other thing that I would run from is the Lotus Blossom Cafe. So they didn't do the exterior kitchen; it's still there. Mm-hmm. They're selling their two items. They're selling them at the Lotus Blossom Cafe, and it really seems like an afterthought. I went twice because the first time it it was cold. What'd you get? They only have one food item. It's a it's wontons, crab, okay, and they were cold, and uh, you don't want cold fried. At least, yeah, fried and then cold is just you just tasting grease. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. So I was like, cool, cool. You don't want me to come here. I'm gonna go shop, spend my money inside House of Good Fortune, and that was fine. But and then the drink wasn't. It's fireworks. It's called, and it just it was juice, and it wasn't even good juice. It's an afterthought. They're not. It's like they had to have something for the festival. And you could tell, um, I have a picture actually, when the sign was on the outdoor kitchen, it said coming soon, mm-hmm. festival of the holidays, and then that sign came down. So it uh, feels like that was a super last minute adjustment. Oh, entirely possible. Yeah, they just didn't have enough to uh, to do there. What, what would you recommend in China? if not the Lotus Blossom Cafe. Oh, I mean, obviously you're going to go to Joy of Tea and you're going to get the Cantaloupe. And this is all the time. This, is, this isn't even Festival of the Holidays because that's all they have for Festival of the Holidays are the two things. But you're going to go to Joy of Tea and you're going to get your bubble milk tea and your two egg rolls and your Cantaloupe and you're going to have a seat and then you're going to go shopping. House of what is Cantaloupe? What? It's fa- How have you? I'll buy you one. Oh, wait. Can you tell everybody, please, about the chili oil? I know that's not why I'm on here, but I feel like you need to address it. Oh, uh, Chrissy, uh, Chrissy paid for dinner at Nine Dragons just so I could taste the chili oil. And so for our readers, I've I've been making my, my own chili oil based on a secret family recipe for going on two years right now. And I really like it. So when Chrissy said, oh, you know, uh, Nine Dragons has the best chili oil I've ever tasted. I was skeptical. So Chrissy decided to pay for dinner. This was a couple weeks ago. I came down. uh, It it comes out and it's it's like a glowing orange where if it was, um, if this orange was on like a, like a public, if it was, if it was, if it was this kind of orange on a public safety sign, you would run away, right? It's, it's the sign of danger. Right. So I, or joy. and I'm like, or good I'm super skeptical of it. So I, before I even eat any of the food, I, you know, dip my finger in the sauce and I take a, a, a sip of it. And uh, the server is explaining to me that the sauce is actually, the chili oil is actually house made every couple days by different chefs. And so they have their own family interpretation of chili oil, which is like, it's like tomato sauce, right? For Italians, right? Mm. Um, and so this particular one you could taste was heavily infused with garlic and onion and it was delicious it was really good it's completely different than what i make um i use 
star anise and stuff like that. I also infuse chili and, and garlic, but I, I would go with a different spice profile. But it was delicious. It was really good. There you go. In fact, I put that on everything. I put it on the spinach noodles. Yeah. I put it on the orange chicken. I put it on everything, and it was really good. So, good. so, so no lie there. It was really good. But, but to your earlier point, it is different every time you go because – Every couple of days, wow. yeah. It changes. It yeah. really is. Okay, thank you for addressing that. Yeah, that was fantastic. So who then created the diversion so the remaining chili oil could be poured into a Tupperware container? Chrissy got it to go, actually. She did. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> There's no shame in asking. There's no shame in asking. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right, well, yeah. good. I, I, All right. They really should actually uh, uh, bottle that and sell it. I, I, think it's a, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, 100% cool. they should. Okay, the last thing not to miss, absolutely do not miss, the Melik Kalikimaka booth over near Starbucks is the pork, the Kahlua pork. It has Ooh. just, oh, goodness gracious. Teen, a teeniest bit of spice. Okay. Sweet sauce. Oh, God, it's so good. So this is this is Hawaiian. Was this spam or was it pork? No, 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 no. This is pulled pork. Very pork. Tender, okay, all right. And it's on the purple sweet potatoes, like a little. A little oh, fantastic. Potatoes. Oh, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Awesome. All right, cool. Good, Christy. So, so this is a festival of the holidays. Uh, next month in January, festival. we have a festival of the arts yes. in Epcot with also food. Will you come back and talk about that then? Of course, naturally. Don't put me on with something yeah. super smart. I'm not the, <laughs> I mean, you guys are smart, but like you're the standard smart, you know, resident smart people don't, don't put one of your like NASA followers I know you we, we, the other three people. We have, a num- we have a number of very talented people who listen to the show. It's amazing. I, I don't know why. Yeah, don't uh, have but, me on with yeah. one of them. <laughs> okay, we'll I'll, see what I'll, we can do. I'll do the before, before you go, though, just a final quick question. We are headed into the craziest, busiest time of year yes. at the Walt Disney World Resort. And, you know, you've just mentioned all of these wonderful holiday treats. Do you have like just one tip for folks who are coming? Face it, there are people who who deliberately come for the holidays mm. at Disney. But during this crazy, crowded time, do you have one tip about you know the, the, how to handle this? You know, the, the, if you're looking to coming in just as a foodie to do this sort of yes, stuff, yes, absolutely. Um, patience and bring baggies. And, ah, yeah. And do your research. Like, um, you know, we obviously eat everything all the time, but then there are really good um, folks like Bethany Vinton is one of our dear friends. She has had every alcoholic beverage in every park. But the big thing is just bring baggies. You're never going to eat all of it. You don't want to. You don't want to get full at one booth. And a lot of it you really can take with you. Uh, So if you can do the little storage containers or whatever, but uh, you're not, I mean, you're going to have lines even for the bathrooms now. So just kind of lower expectations a little. Patience and baggies. All right. Fantastic. That that would have made my experience at the savory swine so much better. (laughs) (laughs) That was a lot of food. That was a lot of food. food. It was really good. Last note, I know I I have to go because you guys have stuff to do. I am on the Disney dish with the Disney wish. Annette has booked me. So I I get to come and I'm very excited. Oh, we'll definitely do some food stuff on that. That'll be great. Absolutely. Oh, killer. This is such good news. Wow. Cool. Awesome. All right, Chrissy, thanks for that. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you next month. Thank you, guys. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim talks about when one of the most powerful men on earth got stuck on the Matterhorn in other tales from the early 1970s. We'll be right back. (music) 
This week we were going to talk about what was our original topic? Well, at Epcot in the 19, uh, of 1975, we're going to talk about where the development plans were for uh, Walt Disney World Second Gate at the time. But, but for me, what's a more interesting aspect of this project is who helped make Epcot the theme park become a reality in the mid-1970s. <laughs> and, and, and that, believe it or not, folks, is Dr. Henry Kissinger, who was Gerald Ford's Secretary of State at that time. And uh, honestly, Len, the reason we're sharing this story today is are those amazing State Department cables you came across recently in your research. Can you talk a little bit about those or... So Disney knew in the mid-70s that it was going to build Epcot and that uh, the Disney World Showcase, as it was then called, was going to involve countries from around the world. And so in order to get help defraying the cost of Disney World Showcase, Disney sent a, a team of uh, people from Disney World to various countries to gauge their interest in participating in that, that sort of scheme. And so they actually, uh, so it was Marty Sklar, who we all go. know from, from Imagineering, but mm -hmm. uh, also two people, two other people. One was mm -hmm. named uh, C. Langhorn Washburn. Before he worked for Disney, he was the U.S. government's Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Tourism mm -hmm. from 1970 to 1975. So that was part of the Nixon and then mm -hmm. Ford administrations. And also Jack Lindquist, yes. who was a yep. Disney's VP of Marketing. Mm -hmm. So they send, they send Marty Langhorn and Jack on a world tour to drum up support of Epcot. And because they were going around the world for business, they worked through the U.S. State Department and U.S. embassies around the world in order to arrange meetings with the decision makers in these foreign governments, uh, you know, including like not only their you know, secretaries of state, but their secretaries of commerce, their tourism people and whatnot. And the interesting thing is that um, a number of countries were visited that – Disney wanted to involve that I don't think we've ever heard about in the history of Epcot, Jim. And so oh, uh, yeah. the first cable that I see from the State Department is in September of 1975, where the Disney delegation goes to, of all places, Belgium. I don't know, Jim, were they going in alphabetical order here and just <laughs> skipped Andorra? <laughs> it is an interesting punch list, but okay. All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they uh, so they go to Belgium. Uh, they do the presentation. The next day they head to Greece, mm -hmm. and in the internal State Department cable, they Greece uh, the State Department notes: Look, Greece has absolutely no interest in this project whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to go back one day and revisit that with the, uh, the 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 Greek consulate. Like you know, now you know, thirty years on or whatever, forty years on, mm -hmm. would you change your mind? Anyway, on September thirtieth, they go to Denmark. Uh, then there's a delay until uh, December. Or they go, Jim, to Pakistan, who was super interested, according to these cables. Oh, and then they go to the Philippines as well in December of, uh, of 75. In 76, and I think this is where Kissinger gets involved. Mm -hmm. In 76, they somehow end up in Moscow after July 4th. And the, it's during this trip where they also go over to Poland, which, remember, at the time was an Eastern Bloc country. There we go. They, uh, there's a set of cables about Disney's visit to Warsaw uh, on July 19th to the 22nd. And this is where Kissinger gets involved. Mm -hmm. um, Kissinger is also in Poland at the same time. And you see in the cables this thing of like, by the way, we're copying, we're copying Henry Kissinger mm -hmm. on this note. And that's where he starts to ask, you know, what's going on. 
The next one after this, October of 76, you know, if you thought uh, Poland was contentious, the next time uh, uh, Disney goes out is to visit Israel. And, and Kissinger is specifically mentioned as being briefed yeah. on this one. Mm-hmm. Also in 76, they uh, since they're in the Middle East, they visit Kuwait, Egypt, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, Oman, Saudi Arabia, and Syria is on the list according to the State Department. But later Disney says they don't want to involve uh, Syria. And the, the interesting thing about this text is the State Department apparently gets uh, a copy of the presentation mm-hmm. that's happening, uh, this one. And they say that um, according to uh, the Walt Disney World Showcase Project, it's a complete, permanent, all-Arab pavilion at Disney World. So it wouldn't have been individual countries. Uh, I guess we ended up with Morocco. But it would have been sort of like one United Arab uh, pavilion there. Yeah, I've seen the concept art for the magic carpet ride that was actually supposed to be featured at this attraction that started with the tales of the Arabian nights and then sort of transitioned to the, the modern Arab world and showing, mm. you know, the, the oil fields and the art and the history and very much in the style of Peter Pan flight only huh. you know, it's selling uh, uh, that carpet. take of the world. So they, they go on the next year, they visit Venezuela and Austria in 77. They also visit South Korea Mm-hmm. In 78, and again, Kissinger specifically mentioned on this one, they go to China. And not only is Kissinger involved in this, but mm-hmm. apparently the State Department not only copies, you know, the ambassador of China and the, you know, the embassy and then the, uh, the consulates in China, but they also CC the U.S. representatives in Taiwan and Hong Kong as a heads up. So apparently this was a super sensitive uh, meeting in '79, they do a tour of Africa, the Cote d'Ivory, mm-hmm. uh, or the Ivory Coast, uh, Nigeria, Liberia. Uh, in fact, two visits to uh, uh, Monrovia, Kenya, and Senegal. Yeah, for a lot of folks, it must seem kind of bizarre to the effect. But why is you know the Secretary why, of State? Why is Henry Kissinger involved in Epcot? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, why is the State Department basically involved in being the front man for Disney's visits to yeah. these places? And well, okay, it, the story really starts in November of 68. This is right after Richard Nixon gets elected 37th president of the United States. He beats uh, Hubert Humphrey, very tight, one of the tightest uh, presidential elections in American history. He's inaugurated in uh, January of, of 1969, and at that time, Richard Nixon appoints Henry Kissinger as his national security advisor. Now, mm. Henry followed kind of an interesting path to this position of power. 1938, the Kissinger family escapes Nazi Germany when Henry's only 15. They then settle in the Washington Heights section of Upper Manhattan, and Henry's drafted into the Army in 43 and becomes a naturalized citizen of the United States during while serving in World War II. After his time in uniform, applies to Harvard University, eventually graduates from that Ivy League school in 51, then gets his PhD from the same institution in, in 1954, and Henry becomes a rising star in academic circles. He, in, by 58, he's named the director of Harvard's Defense Studies Program, and then holds this incredibly powerful, highly influential position all the way through 71. Henry was basically... An East Coast intellectual, you know, up until the time he gets po- appointed to Nixon's cabinet, rarely ventures west of the Mississippi and the north and south poles of his personal and professional comp- compass are basically Boston and Washington, D.C. Yeah. 
But all of this changes when Nixon makes Kissinger his national security advisor. Because remember, Nixon gets elected to Congress in 47 to represent California's 12th district. And then he gets elected to the U.S. Senate for that state just three years later before then become Dwight Eisenhower's running mate in 52. And Nixon, after the election in 68, wants to strengthen his ties to his home state. So after his inauguration, Nixon buys a 5.5-acre parcel of land in San Clemente, California, that overlooks the Pacific Ocean. And he dubs the 9,000-square-foot structure uh, that's been there since the 20s at the, on the seaside parcel, the Western White House. And so Kissinger, who, again, is Nixon's national security advisor, and you got to remember, one of Nixon's campaign promises was that he was going to bring the Vietnam War to an end through peace with honor. Peace with honor, right? That was the uh, that was the phrase, right? Who did he? Who did Nixon run against in sixty? Uh, was it Mc- Hubert Humphrey or, or McGovern? Hubert Horatio Humphrey. Humphrey, yeah, okay, yeah. So anyway, so anytime Nixon journeys to the Western White House, particularly in 69, 70, Kissinger expects to go along with him because, again, they're in the middle of hashing out the, the plan for what they're going to do to end the Vietnam War. And Henry, again, this is a guy who's used to cocktail parties in Georgetown or the bright lights of Manhattan. He actually doesn't know what to do with himself when he goes with Nixon to San Clemente. I mean, this is a very sleepy seaside community, and there isn't much for a 45-year-old divorcee to do once Dick and Pat head to bed. And so, you know, during one of these trips, Henry whines to a member of the security detail, part of the Secret Service. It's like, what is there to do around here? And the the, the agent's response has this huge impact on, on Henry's life. He goes, we know Disneyland just 30 miles up the road. Done. <laughs> and that's the thing. The very next time Nixon goes out to the Western White House and brings Henry along, as soon as the business portion of the day is done, Henry hops in a car with a security detail and makes a beeline to Disneyland. And, and Henry, he has a wonderful time at the happiest place on earth, barring one incident, Len, where uh, Kissinger's security detail insists when, when Henry gets in line for the Matterhorn, it's the top of the line. His security detail pulls the cast member and says, okay, bobsled that's directly ahead of Kissinger's has to go at empty. Likewise, the bobsled behind Kissinger. And it's like, you know, you, you get it. He's tr- they're trying to create this artificial bubble of safety around Nixon's national security advisor. But the cast member's explaining, look, without a passenger on board, yeah. the bobsleds on either side of Kissinger aren't going to be heavy enough. They're not going to move fast enough through the break zones. And the computer that controls this attraction is going to sense that and pull an e-stop. And, you know, the security guys, uh-huh, uh-huh, do what we say. And so, <laughs> and so sure enough, the cast member's okay. I've had this exact same conversation about a visit with Henry Kissinger in my own life, which is great. Go ahead. Oh, wow. Cool. Okay. So anyway, what, hap- <laughs> what happens is that just as the cast member predicted, Henry's on the ride and, and mm-hmm. makes it basically 90% through, but they're on the downslope and, and the vehicle that's in front of him has started to slow down because it doesn't have enough weight. And yeah. the one that's behind him is lagging and the computer that controls the attraction senses this and does an e-stop. And But now what happens, Len, is do you know that wrought iron fence that circles the Matterhorn? You know? Of course, yeah, yeah. What ends up happening is Kissinger's vehicle comes to a stop 
at the base of the mountain, at the edge of this wrought iron fence near Matterhorn Way, where literally hundreds of people are now walking by him. He's like two and three feet on the other side of the fence, and here's all of humanity. People are walking by and say, that guy looks a lot like Henry Kissinger. Yeah, doesn't that guy look like Hank? Isn't that strange? But again, <laughs> the next day he gets back to the Western White House and he's telling this story about how he got trapped on the Matterhorn. And Ron Ziegler, who is Nixon's press secretary, who prior to getting to politics, he paid his way through school like so many kids in Orange County did by working at Disneyland. In fact, Ron was, was actually a Jungle Cruise skipper. So Ron goes, oh, Jeez, Henry, the next time you're headed to Disneyland, let me know. I, I still have all sorts of friends who work in the park, and I'll, I'll make a few calls, and you'll get a special tour. And so remember, this is spring of, of, of 69. And the very next time that Nixon returns to the West Western White House, it's now the summer, roughly mid to late summer, and what attraction just opened? The Haunted Mansion. And so, oh, again— Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if you're a government official and you, you need to, to use your position— for personal advantage. I can't imagine anything better than uh, trying to get in the front of the line for a new Disney ride. Well, that's it exactly. Seeger makes a call. And so Henry, you know, it's one of these things where, he, you know, as long as Henry wants to stay in his, his, his doom buggy, he can. So he does multiple trips through the mansion and they then give him a backstage tour of the attraction. And that's it. Henry is now hooked on the happiest place on earth. Oh, that's beautiful. But realizing that it might seem a little weird that the president's national security advisor is now spending an inordinate amount of his free time wandering around a theme park, Henry, at first, tries to, you know, he brings his two children, David and Elizabeth, along with him to trips to the Western White House. So it's, he uses his kids as an excuse to slip away from sure. But But here's the thing. Kissinger's ex-wife, Anne, will only allow Henry to bring David and Elizabeth along to Southern California when they're not in school, which precludes Henry from using his kids as an excuse to go to Disneyland through much of the year. And and eventually, Henry just decides, look, I don't need an excuse to go to Disneyland. I have uh, a high- I'm Henry Kissinger. I don't need an excuse, right? Dude, right like well, that. that's it. Exactly. Yeah. I have a high-pressure job. I'm flying around the globe. I mean, the Paris peace talks are literally just getting underway at this point. So whenever he'd meet with Nixon at the Western White House, immediately afterwards, Henry would slip off to Disneyland. And his security detail at this point had been basically instructed, look, discreetly hang back. Henry just wants to wander the park. Sometimes he rides rides. More often than not, he buys a box of popcorn, sits on a park bench, and just decompresses while people watching. But but this changes in January of 71. It's a particularly cold night at the park, and Kissinger came up to Anaheim. He's only wearing a light jacket. And he he's sitting there in, on the park bench, obviously freezing. And so a member of Disneyland's security team, which is supporting Kissinger's security detail, feels bad for Henry. So slips backstage and comes out with one of those dark pea coats that cast members used to wear during the winter months. And Kissinger, oh, thank you, and, and puts it on. But then, Len, you'll love this. A guest who is passing through this part of the park suddenly walks straight up to Kissinger and before his security detail can do anything, you know, leap out and, and protect the national security advisor, the guest just asks Kissinger a question. Where's the nearest bathroom? <laughs> you know that's the question he's going to get. You just know that's the first question Henry Kissinger's going to get. And this is the thing Kessinger realizes at that moment that he's wearing a peacoat with a Disneyland patch sewn on in the pocket. And this woman 
just assumed he was a Casper. He didn't even look at his face. And Henry then just points to the nearest bathroom because he, he's been at the park he knows, enough. He knows to, where he, yeah, he's been there enough, right? And so the woman walks oh, God, off. That's beautiful. Do you know, if I, if I find, if I ever find Henry Kissinger in a pea, dark peacoat jacket in Disneyland, I'm going to walk up to him and say, what news of Stalingrad? <laughs> <laughs> This just tickles Kissinger. Oh, he's got at, at, yeah. well, at that point, he has one of the most famous faces in America. But he could come to Disneyland, and, and by putting a cast member's costume, he immediately becomes invisible. So this now starts a new phase of Henry's trip to the park where he would do things like he'd go backstage, put on a food service uniform, and then sell popcorn at one of Disneyland's carts for an hour or so. I mean, this is the Kissinger College program, isn't it? <laughs> But what I love is that Disneyland indulged him. They would they would send, mind you, he'd always be paired with a, a sort of a veteran cast member to backstop him, if you will. But but Henry reportedly loved working the popcorn kettle and dumping out the freshly made popcorn and making change for people. And and again, all because he was allowed to be invisible. But Kissinger really got enamored of the, the, the Disney parks at this point, which did not go unnoticed, Len, by Disney senior management. Oh, yeah. I mean, if uh, if Kissinger is a fan, you, you got to think that the executive team is like, you know, what can we ask Henry to do for us? Well, that's it exactly. So the, this is at the point that they're just now getting serious on the, the Walt Disney World Showcase, which, again, is the earliest iteration of Epcot, the theme park, as opposed to Epcot, right. the city. Walt Disney, yeah, and, and the cable, the diplomatic cables, by the way, reference it as the Walt Disney World Showcase. There we go. Okay. All right. So they, they, you know, next time he's in California, it's like, hey, you drive up to Anaheim. Why don't you drive a little further? Come up to Glendale. We got something to show you. And so they bring him in and they show him the model of, again, so this is 72. So this is a few months after the Magic Kingdom's opened. And and at this point, Walt Disney World Showcase is supposed to be something. This is an actual quote from the promotional players at the time. An international mall that would serve as a theater, shopping, and special event center that was directly adjacent to the Vacation Kingdom. And again, that's how it was described in House at the Time. Mm-hmm. So Henry sees the model, which is those two horseshoe-shaped structures with, with spots for 30 different international pavilions. Yeah. And obviously, in trade, and, he, and he's like, which countries do we need to bomb to convince them to, <laughs> to become part of this? I've got the Air Force on alert. Somebody bring me the briefcase. <laughs> no, no, bombing. No, 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 no. Uh, peace through diplomacy. There we go. Yeah. But in a more benign way, supposedly what, what Kissinger says is he turns to his his host at, at WED and, and says exactly what senior mouse hope managers will hope to hear. It's like, what can I do to help? So, again, to, to circle back to those cables you just mentioned. Yeah. Because Kissinger sincerely wanted to help the people at Disney uh, because Disney was now his happy place. He, he takes an active role in it. I mean, that's a, seriously, that's what that CC thing is all about. It's, yeah. it's just the effect of, okay, you know, is Poland in? Because I would really like to visit a Poland pavilion, yeah. get a pierogi. But, you know, he, he used the power that came with being Nixon's national security advisor to not order, no, that would be an abuse of power to, to perhaps strongly suggest right. that State Department staffers arrange meetings for Jack Lindquist and, you know, Langhorn and Marty Scalar, you know, with, again, senior officials of countries large and small, because Disney wanted to meet with these dignitaries to discuss Epcot. And 
This effort continues after Nixon promotes Henry from a national security advisor to secretary of state. It continues after Nixon resigns in August of 74 and Gerald Ford becomes the 38th president of the United States. And this continues to chug along till actually it's November of 76 when Gerald Ford loses his bid to remain president. That Kissinger is really no longer in much of a position to help Disney. And the Carter administration comes in in January of 77. And at that point, Disney finds itself with a far rougher road to hoe. Yeah, you can actually see this in the cables because the, um, you know, early on, mm-hmm. the State Department's like, okay, you know, we're going to find the right people in this government, you know, whether it's uh, Ministry of Trade or whether it's the tourism councils or whatever. They're actively finding like the right people for Disney to talk to. Totally. And then it switches in Mm -hmm. like 77, Mm -hmm. 78 to where they're not standoffish, right? Mm -hmm. But they're like, but they definitely have more requirements for Disney in order to meet with them. So they want to know ahead of time, like Mm -hmm. who's coming? What is your exact schedule down to the hour? What specifically do you need from us? Like for example, in one of these cables, it's like, okay, you want a dinner. Mm-hmm. How many people are coming to dinner? Where do you want to have the dinner? How will transportation be arranged to the dinner, right? So they had all of these questions for Disney starting in 1977, 1978, about yeah. the logistics and the extent to which Disney needed the State Department's help. Whereas before that, it was like, you know, oh, you're coming, you're coming to, you know, Poland? fabulous. Hank's going to be there. Love mm-hmm. to meet you. Right. Two completely different sets of conversations. Oh yeah. And you know, the, the terrible part of it is, is they had done so much of their design work for a world showcase mm-hmm. in 76 going into 77. When the park opened in October of 82, you had those empty uh, expansion pads, which again, in, when Kissinger was driving the bus, so to speak, it's like, oh, we're going you know, to fill up all of these. In fact, Dick Nunes was talking about the second lagoon they were going to dig behind the American Adventure that was going to have as it, its icon to, to drive you deeper into the park, an Australian-themed hotel. But the fact that they lost their ace up their sleeves, so to speak, with Henry, suddenly you know you're looking at all of these these empty spots around world showcase and you got to wonder if if ford had won uh you know that remember ford finished out what was supposed to be nixon's second term and that if if ford had gotten elected what would have happened in those four years you know what would have world showcase been like if henry was still in disney's corner and by the way len this is not the first time, uh, or it wouldn't be the last time, that Disney would try to leverage a powerful person's interest in the company's theme park in Disney's favor. You know, sometimes, Len, you and I really do have to talk about Disney and Michael Jackson because I know what we ended up with. When, was, which, um, in which administration did Michael Jackson serve as Secretary of State? I, I'm <laughs> blanking here. <laughs> Oh, probably, like, probably Clinton, because that makes the most sense. Oh, well, I was about to say that I, I you know, is, 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 is right before Madeline Street, Albright, right? It was, it was like, it went, it went, I think um, you are Michael correct. Jackson. Then he went on a tour. Madeline Albright came in. But I, I, you gotta wonder when you're seating folks is, does the secretary of state get seated in a better place than the King of Pop? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I think it's an honorific title, King of Pop, though, where yeah, secretary of state is an actual designate you know it's it's funny to me because you're right the uh you would think that 
a lot of these countries, right, that, mm-hmm. that Disney's going to, especially smaller countries like, you know, yeah. Austria and whatnot, or sort of like, you know, the, the countries that the U.S. didn't have, like, really strong ties to. So, like, you know, Ivory Coast, Venezuela, things like that. You know, Kissinger walks in the room and he's got this reputation for the reputation that precedes him from Vietnam, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're fighting in Vietnam. By the way, we have a secret war in Laos going on that we're not going to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Kissinger walks in the room, right, or he 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 lets Venezuela know through diplomatic channels that yeah, they really should meet with the Disney people. Does Venezuela say no to that? Because you know he's got the nuclear briefcase, right? Yeah, you know, no, no, that's it exactly. He's in the chain of command, right? It's like, oh no, no, definitely, Mr. Kissinger. Yes, we're right on that meeting. Yes, yes, absolutely. When Disney decided to actually go. And build a theme park, uh, you know, uh, the, the the Shanghai property. Mm-hmm. Kissinger is back in the the mix. The company actually straightforward hires him yep. to be, you know, one of their liaisons to uh, the Chinese government. And well, no, I mean, because remember that Nixon Nixon was the first the uh, the first one who went to China, right? And it was part there you of go. The, mm-hmm. the the big yes. And Kissinger definitely had a part in that. So yeah, yep. I, I understand the diplomacy mm-hmm. involved there. So did I, did I ever t- tell you my uh, my my brush with Henry Kissinger? No, 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 no. Please share. So uh, um, when I was working at American Express, Henry Kissinger was on the board of directors, and mm-hmm. so I'm in Greensboro, and the board of director meeting is in Greensboro, and if, mm-hmm. so the board of directors wants a tour of the facility. Henry Kissinger was part of that. Mm-hmm. So about a week ahead of time, we get notes from security, like you know every single thing you bring in between now and you know and uh, this meeting will be scrutinized. We're going to go through. Everything in your desks, right? You can't, you know. Don't don't think about bringing in like real cutlery with your lunch, right? Plastic mm-hmm. everything. And then it was like, you know, this the, a bunch of other stuff like take down that anything that might be, you know, offensive to Kissinger. You, you are not to talk to him unless he talks to you. Otherwise, as he's walking through your workspace, you just keep your eyes on your your work, and you know, you you don't pay attention to him. Just act like he's not there. So my boss at the time is a very proper older English gentleman's name's Chris. Mm-hmm. And Chris is going over these rules with me like one by one because he knows that Kissinger's politics and my politics mm-hmm. were two vastly, vastly different things, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, he's like, glad you understand, you know, that you cannot bring in cutlery. Like, yeah, Chris, I got it. Like, you are not to speak to Henry Kissinger unless you're spoken to. And even then keep it, you know, keep it brief. And, you know, ask, if he asks you a question, you give the answer to the question and then you stop talking. And so he's going through this entire list, like, you know, don't wear the flag of Vietnam on your, on, you know, as your, as your shirt that day. Right? Or, you know, please pull, pull down your visit scenic Cambodia poster. Yeah, you know, exactly. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, there'll be no, you know, playing holiday, you know, holidays Rem- in Cambodia by the dead Kennedys. None mm-hmm. of that. Right. Like, and he, I'm like, Chris, okay. Are those the rules? Mm-hmm. And he's, he's like, Oh God, yes. Len, those are the rules. I'm like, so I could play black Sabbath's war pigs. <laughs> in the background as he's walking by and that would be cool. And like Chris and I were on a phone call at the time. And this was, you know, before Skype and before FaceTime and stuff like that. But I could actually hear the man rubbing his temples through the phone. Like, like what did I do to deserve this? And he's like, well, no, of course not. You cannot play war pigs, you know, on your speakers on loop while Henry Kissinger's just walking through the building. I'm like, but if I hum the first few bars, that's all cool. Right. And he's like, I'm not going to have this conversation with you. <laughs> And that was that. It was good times. Good times. Yeah. Good. So, yeah. So every time I hear Black Sabbath War, uh, War Pigs, I think of Henry Kissinger. And I honest to God think that's what the song is about. 
Yeah, so. it was very cool. <laughs> I, I think the the last time I heard you talk about this was at the the Buddy Baker brunch in the uh, the Disneyish Live thing we did. The uh, oh last yeah, month. I mean these these we we have to do an entire show on these diplomatic cables because just oh. to read what the State Department. Disney originally, when Kissinger's involved, they're not telling the State Department anything. They're basically like, hey, we're coming to Belgium and we want to meet with these people. But they're not telling about why. I mean, you know, they'll tell them like it's about a Disney World showcase, but that's it. Uh-huh. And they're basically expect, expecting the State Department to help set up these meetings. Yeah. And then over time, you know, as, as the administrations change, the State Department starts getting really active and asking, what exactly is it that you're asking here? You know, and uh, and so it's really we we have to we have to go through them. It's an entire show. Just to oh, no, 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 absolutely. But but once they lose Kissinger as their gatekeeper, you know yeah. that that again. And it, honestly, it could not happen at a worse time because they were literally about to break ground the following year. And it's like how many countries fell out from going. You know, it's like hey, you know, they're on the fence too. Hey, Kissinger yeah. is no longer there. We're not doing this. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> exactly. So, I love the fact though that uh, you know people of all political uh, persuasions. Uh, can still love Disneyland and still have that in common. That's great. There you go. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. We will find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including live shows that Jim and I have recorded in all four Disney World theme parks. On next week's show, Jim gives us the history of holiday overlays at the Disney theme parks. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, LennitToringPlans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be playing mandolin on Dancing in the Moonlight on stage with the legendary Yonder Mountain String Band from 8 to 10 p.m. on Tuesday, January 18th, 2022 at the Commonwealth Room in beautiful downtown Salt Lake City, Utah. While Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and Raider Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. Thanks very much to our special guests, Christina and Kevin, for being on the show. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.